right, here we go. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. That's right. So Genesis 1 and 2. And you know, how often don't you think, well, I know this so well. I've studied this since I was a little child, you know. And, uh, but I don't know about you, but I could hardly stay in my seat this week studying it. Because I think the more you delve into it, you are in awe. And so, yeah, he's an awesome God for sure. So um, just, just a couple little, you know, we study. We study our God and we study his word because it is the truth. Not just contain truth, but it is the truth, like I prayed. And, and we have to remember that, that his word is not just true words, but it is the whole truth. Like Jesus is the truth. And so we're going to see Jesus so often in this first book of, of, God's, of God's word. And, and if you want to, uh, just quick turn to Psalm 19 a minute. Psalm 19, and, and just hear these words. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech, no language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Oh, doesn't, doesn't that just sound so majestic? And to know that, that when we get up in the morning and we, all, we look out the window, and wouldn't it be great if we could change our whole attitude for the day by just saying, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands, and day after day they pour forth speech. Creation talks to us. Creation can change our whole our whole attitude, our whole mood. So I thought that was such a, a, a important um, piece of scripture. And then, and then I think that we also, when we when we come to God, we hear Him speak to us. I mean, it's like it's like what what Timothy. It's like, it's like what Paul said to Timothy when he, when he said, I want you to know that this scripture, Timothy, use this book and use this book only in 2 Timothy um, 3.16. All, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. So when, when, you, when, you, um, when we study this book of Genesis, which is, by the way, such a controversial book, isn't that sad to hear? that Genesis is becoming more and more a controversial book. And, and so people are just kind of saying, well, we'll start, but let's start with chapter 12. Well, you don't do that. Not if you truly believe that God's word is truth. And so you, you 
I just read to you Psalm, Psalm 19, and the heavens declare the glory of God, you know, and the sky show forth. I mean, it's so beautiful. And then you hear these words, what Paul says to Timothy. He's going to hand over the mantle to Timothy, and he says, oh, Timothy, I don't want you preaching any other book. It's all scripture is God-breathed, and, and it is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God, the woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I mean, we could have done that verse last week for momentum, and we could have been done in five minutes because... It's so important that you know that, that this book, every word is God-breathed and it's got a purpose and the purpose is, is so that you and I can live every day thoroughly, thoroughly equipped, equipped for every good work that he's got for us. So I would say that studying this book and this book alone is, is our, best, our best bet in becoming what God wants us to be. So, and then we start with the words, right? In the beginning, in the beginning. And yet, what we know about our God is that he's, he's not a created being. He always was. You know, this is where... I feel that we cannot comprehend so much, even though our brains and we are, we are so masterfully made, but yet there are some things that our human brains cannot comprehend. There never was a time that God wasn't. He's, a, he's not a created being. He always was. I wrote down these words. He's an eternal, he's an eternal being with no beginning and no end. Now, if you, if you can explain that, then you come on up and trip, because I just can't possibly understand that there never, well, see, we're so consumed with time, and we're so consumed with that something starts and it ends, but that's not our God. Just one more, just one, one more thought to put him so awesome. That's why when you hear him start the creation, why would anybody want to throw this out? Because when he speaks, when a God like that speaks, it was never had a beginning, it was never going to have an end. And when he speaks and it comes into being, don't you want to live in that kind of environment knowing that he is so in charge of it all? Do you know that if you believe Genesis 1-1, if you will believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, if you believe Psalm 19-1-4, if you believe 2 Timothy 3-16, that every word is God-breathed, it's for our purpose, that he wants to thoroughly equip us, he doesn't send us out and say, well, Good luck. It's a tough world out there. You know, hope it all goes well for you. 
I mean, he's sending us out there with the book that will thoroughly equip us for whatever he has called us to do. And maybe in the world's eyes, what he's called you to do, like I told you about my friend last week. You know, you, you wouldn't ever think that that is a, a ministry. And maybe you, what you're doing or what you're living in right now is a ministry, but Lord has us all in our little part of the world and he thoroughly equips us to do the good work for him. So whatever, whatever he calls you to do. So, and uh, so um, I, a couple other little things. I, I just, when I was studying, I just could not believe this. Do you know, and I didn't, that almost all the important doctrines and teachings that we claim as Christians are founded in Genesis. That's how important this book is. That, that almost all the important doctrines and teachings that we stand on have, or have started, like, like um, sin, that whole concept of sin starts in Genesis. The fall, how you can be walking with God and yes, it's like self is born. You know, before that day, before Genesis 3, there was no self. And we'll get into that more next week for sure. But let's just bask in Genesis 1 and 2 this week because it is so beautiful and so perfect. And to think that... Now we are working and looking toward that day when it all will be perfect again. So that's why it's such a, we're on such a journey and someday we can know with all confidence because the Bible says that we will, we will be in the Garden of Eden again, whatever that looks like. All we know that it will be perfect and that we'll be walking with God and all will be the way he intended it to be. But here, we've got, the, we've got sin, we've got the fall, um, we've got redemption in Genesis. Redemption. We've got justification. We can, we can be, because of Jesus, we have the hope, and we learned this in Genesis, that there's this gold thread that even after the fall, we have a God that's so full of unconditional love for us that has already planned a savior in our redemption. So that's another fundamental thing in Genesis is that the promise of the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. In Genesis, we learn, like no other book, the personality and the personhood. We learn what God is like. And that's why I think we start with this awesome God, because that should always remain. I mean, like he's bigger than the definition of big. He's more majestic than what our human brains can comprehend. And yet, remember this song, how big is God? How big and wide his vast domain? You know, I mean, that song is so huge. Even the melody, um, which I could sing, how big is God? You know, but then it ends with, but yet he's small enough to live within our heart. 
So a great picture, isn't it, of seeing how big he is and what he's able to do. But Genesis will do that. It will help you to see he's got personality. He's, he's a, a person, even though, even though he is not a physical being. And we're going to see how he, he purposely made man the way he did and the reason why he made man the way he did. We see that term, the kingdom of God. We see that he's got a kingdom. We see that in Genesis. And then another thing that Genesis shows us is it shows us the, the beginning, the origin of some things. You know, we take it for granted because, you know, it, we don't, we can't imagine, we can't imagine that before there was no universe, you know, but, but Genesis proves to us that, that he created the universe. He originated this beautiful universe. Um, he, he um, ordered it with such um, complexity, but also with such Order is a god of order, detail, complexity, but phenomenal. He originated the solar system. Now, maybe we have some real scientists, or I won't say scientists, but maybe in school you love science, you love chemistry, you you loved all those things, and uh, I wish I could say I did, but um, I, it was it was hard. But I did I did enjoy. And I'm sure you did too. And, and I really enjoyed this week just kind of going back and, and, you know, researching a little bit. And I have to tell you, my jaw just dropped. I, I can't even comprehend the complexity of this universe. I mean, it is worth digging in sometime, you know, and just seeing the details of how, how things um you know, kind of move and so perfectly. And that's another thing he originated. He originated atmosphere, hydrosphere, hemisphere. He originated those things. Um, atmosphere, I did not know this. Atmosphere is a mixture of gases that surround the earth. So the atmosphere that we live in is a mixture of gases that surround the earth. And then the hydrosphere is the amount of water on the planet. And the hemisphere is, is like dividing the earth right in half, or dividing actually the universe right in half. And then to watch how the hemisphere, um, and we'll get into that too, about the seasons and how one half, you know, the, there's... Um, when you cut in half, you have the south and the western hemisphere. And then you also have, no, you have the north and the western hemisphere. And then you have on the other side, you have the south and eastern. So, um, see, I can't even get it straight now. It's so beyond me. But anyway, you cut, the, you cut the earth in half and you have two hemispheres. And you have the north and the west hemisphere and the south and the east there, I got it. So um, another thing that originated in the book of Genesis is the life, life, a man, and marriage. Yeah. And people are throwing this out. 
thinking it's not important when so much is originated here. Um, good and evil is originated in Genesis. Language, you know, we'll get into that, the Tower of Babel and all that. So languages, um, government, culture, nations, nations, all religion, so many little G gods. All that is in Genesis. Idols. And remember what we said about idols um, this summer? Remember we talked about when Paul talked about um, you have to get rid of idolatry. And we said, well, you know, we don't have these little statues that we bow down to. And the idolatry. And the best way you can know what idolatry is, is the first letter. There it is. That's idolatry. When I is bigger than anything. And when, you, when it all is about you, and he said, you've got to get rid of that. So all of that, all of that um, was started in the book of Genesis. Listen to this one. I could not believe it. I almost fell off my chair. It is precisely, it is precisely because people have abandoned the truth of Genesis that we're in the mess we are. There you go. Just think, because of the abandonment of the study of Genesis, we're in the mess. Because look what Genesis has done to start and to get the ball rolling and to show us what we need. And it's got everything. Genesis is so important that 165, at least, at least 165 passages are used in the New Testament or clearly referred to. So, you know, when, when whether it's Jesus or the other writers, I mean, at least 165 times it, goes, it refers to the book of Genesis. Listen to this one. We cannot truthfully and consistently say we believe in Jesus if we do not believe the entire book of Genesis. See, I knew this would get you. It sure got to me. I mean, and, and I think we're in the right book at the right time. So we cannot truthfully and consistently and confidently say that we believe in Jesus if we have problems with the book of Genesis. Martin Luther, Martin Luther, he wrote this, not Martin Luther King, our Mount, our, our Mount, our Martin Luther who nailed the theses of Protestantism on the Catholic Church door. He wrote this. He said, I beg and faithfully warn every pious Christian not to stumble at the simplicity of the language and the stories that will often meet them there in Genesis. He should, they should not doubt that however simple they may seem, these are the very words of the works, the judgments, and the deeds of the high, majestic, powerful wisdom of God. I mean, he used such beautiful language. So don't ever think that, you know, the simple story of creation or the simple stories, and there are going to be so many of them, 
but are going to be used as such examples for us to learn from, good and bad. Martin Luther just reminds us, don't take that for granted. I mean, this is God at work. So... Now, let's start. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, about spirit, and, and someone wrote me this week and said, um, I keep running into the, the plural word, we and us. Does that mean the Trinity? And I wrote back and I said, absolutely correct. I mean, you see how God in his um, perfect way of utilizing who he is divided himself into three persons to do the completeness of what God does. I mean, God the Father has such a purpose. God the Son has such a purpose that the Father couldn't do, see? And God the Spirit has such a distinct purpose. And the reason why in all and all the purposes of, of the persons of the Trinity is for our benefit. That even in Genesis 1, we start to see that, that God was willing to almost like split himself into three people so that, like I said, the whole job and purpose for what he wants to accomplish in us is done. So my, my simple definition is God the Father came up with a wonderful, unconditional plan to buy us back. Jesus fulfilled that plan so perfectly. And now God, the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like what Keith Green wrote. Thank you, oh my Father, for giving us your son and leaving. Because Jesus is back in heaven in his proper and rightful place. But thank you for leaving your spirit here and tell the world on earth is done. That's why we sing, Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. We don't want to miss what you have for us. And in our own self and in our own minds, without the understanding, we will miss it. So the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters. It's kind of like, and, and that's why I quick threw in something beautiful. Because the Holy Spirit is there to kind of begin to take the chaos and make something beautiful. And really, how precious is it to think that on the day of our salvation, when we walked to that cross as humbly as we could, like I say, with our tail between our legs, because we found the realization of what we truly are, and how badly we need a Savior. But then you are given the gift, Ephesians, Paul says, you are given the gift of his spirit that then will turn you back around from the cross and start a new life in you. And you don't have to do it. He will do it in you and through you. And he does it by making the word Jesus clear to you. Not just words, but clear and understanding so that your life can change. So, you know, 
something beautiful, something good, all my confusion. You think about, at least I can, even though um, I was not a bad kid, I wasn't a bad girl. I mean, I've said this to you many times. My testimony is I was a good church kid. I didn't cause my folks any trouble. I mean, how boring is that? Well, until, until I realized that I was one of the all, for all have sinned and fallen short. You know, it was almost like you're saying, what, me? I mean, I didn't do anything. I haven't really done anything wrong. And he made me see that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That's quite a testimony. I was one. I was one of the lost, destined for hell. And I was a good church kid, not causing my folks any trouble. But I needed to see the realization of who I was, truly. And the Bible did that for me. The Bible made it clear. But then the Bible also showed me we're not a hopeless mess. We're given his spirit then. We'll take and make all things new as we are willing to, to give him the time and the effort and be willing. Do you remember last week I also said the first thing you and I have to, to ask ourselves is, do I really want this? Do I really want it? Because it's going to take work and effort, but it's also going to take feeling guilty sometimes, feeling convicted, challenging you. Slowly but surely, he's trying to erase that old you and raise up in you the very character. The Holy Spirit's trying to change you and I into the character of Jesus. So, oh, yes, he, the Holy Spirit is definitely very much a part of creation and very much a part of your and my change of life. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. You know, you, you've heard this, you know. And you've, if people would just read their Bibles and just stop it. Just stop saying, well, I wonder if that could be. And then it gets all messed up. It gets all messed up when man starts putting their two cents in there. God created and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Instead of saying, I wonder if that was 24 hours or what. Instead, you and I should be saying, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I mean, wouldn't it be so much simpler that we just accept it? And then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky and there was evening and there was morning on the second day. Hallelujah. Because boy, now we're starting to see some order. It brought out light. And you know, there's something about that word light. You know, like when you see that when he created the, let there be light, 
there had there was something very special about that light. It's almost like it's superhuman. It's just, you know, and then Jesus is known as what the light of the world. And then and then what do we, what do we know about in Revelation? We know that someday we're going to be a part of the light, and we won't need sun, moon, and stars and the electric switch. We won't need that because why? He's the light. Something about when God created the light, and that was first. Let there be light. It's almost like you can hear him say, let there be me for this world. So now we have sky and we've got, we're starting to see it start to form. And then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so and God called the dry ground land and the, and the gathered waters he called seas. And it was so good. Hallelujah, he did that. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear, that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. Did you catch that? And read, you got to read it every day or you're not going to catch things like this. I don't know what day it was for me when I caught it. I thought, my word, no wonder our world's in such a mess. They're not studying Genesis because God is very clear about my creation. I created things of their kind. He's distinct about the kind according to their kinds. We'll talk more about that. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. So now we're going to start to see yeah, the, the sun, moon, and stars are, are parts of light, but this is where I was spellbound by the, and very intrigued with the way the earth tilts on its axis, axle, so perfectly. I, I, I wrote down here, everything is all perfect. Gravity just enough gravity, and I won't go into it, but if you can about imagine if gravity were off, <laughs> and then um, the, the size and the distance between the stars. I don't think I ever really thought about that, that the stars are created um, with a certain size and um, in, a, in distance between them, That is all perfectly done. And the speed of light, too. The speed of light. And then when you, when you, when you get into um, atoms and molecules and, and um, electrons and protons, and I mean, it is just, you cannot read that, even though it, it might be difficult for understanding. Let that just show you there is no way this world could be created any other way than by what Martin Luther said, a God who is 
majestic and powerful and all wise and all everything. How could there be any question when you see the complexity and the detail? So he said, I will put these, let me read it. It says, and let them serve all signs as signs to mark seasons and days and years. This is just my personal opinion, but I think this is when time really began. Because, you know, as I was saying about, you know, how um, the earth's spin is just right. And the way it tilts, I mean, it's, you know, sometimes we have summer and sometimes we have winter. You know, it, it changes the season and it changes our, our, our time of day. All of that has to do with the intricacy of the spin of the, of the earth on its axis and how tilted it is. That's amazing to me. That's why on the other side of the earth, the other half of the hemisphere, you know, right now when you think about the south and the east part of the hemisphere, you know, it's 10, 1025 at night. That's why we know that people in New Zealand and Australia and all that, this is their, this is their spring. I'm like, but it's just so marvelous. It all has to do with that. Do you know, I didn't know this either, that you can tell each season, I suppose you have to be some kind of astrologer, you know, study of the stars, but, but you can tell each season by stars because there's different constel constellations that appear at different seasons. I didn't know that. So let me just read Isaiah 48, 13. I, I Isaiah probably, you know, was looking around one day and just had to write this down too. See, it's so good every once in a while just to stop and to go over some of these things that we're going over. It's like Isaiah, it's like God said to Isaiah, write this down. My own hand laid the foundations of the earth. And my right hand has spread out the heavens when I summon them. When I summon them, they all stand up together. So by his voice, it happens. My own hand laid the foundations of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. And when I summon, they all stand up together. So God made these two great lights. Verse, verse 16, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Again, hallelujah. Look how all this is just transpiring. Trans, um, by his mere word. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. 
So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing which, with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. There it is again. Did you see that? It's kind of like, you know, with, with a dog. I mean, yeah, you can have different variations of dogs. I mean, there's different breeds, right? I mean, you can have a poodle and you can have a Great Dane. Quite a contrast. But guess what? They're both dogs. And they stay dogs. <laughs> right? You know what I'm getting to, don't you? Eventually, you know what I'm getting to. And, and I'm not a bit afraid to preach it either because it's so clear right here. He created things in their kind. And every winged and bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed, verse 22, God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning on the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures and that move along the ground and wild animals, each according to its kind. See, now that's all I can hear. Now that it was kind of made clear to me, all of a sudden I noticed. Now when I read it, it's like it's in capital letters jumping out at me that his plan is so distinct God made the wild animals according to their kinds and livestock according to their kinds and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds and God saw that it was good. Verse 26. And God said, let us make, let us make man. Let us make, see there's the plural. It's like, it's like, God the Father is talking to, to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Let, let us, let's together make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the living and the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Like, this is Right, let's make man in our image. And then I said this before, even though God is a spirit, capital S, you know, he's a spirit, he doesn't have a physical body, but he purposely gave us a physical body so that we could maneuver here in, in the image of God so that, what? So that we could see and hear and touch and speak, think, plan, like he can do. See, it's really something that there is no other creature, and I'm sure you've had many sermons on this, and you know, there is no other creature created that is like us. So when he breathed, and we'll read that, but it's so when he breathed his breath, into our bodies. He breathed into you and I a soul, a soul that no other creature has. There is no other creature as, as astounding and as beautiful as it might be and miraculous. There is no other creation that has the kind of relationship with him as we do. I mean, we have a special love 
We have a special love from him. I mean, we see that, I mean, after the fall, and then we see the redemption hope and all that. I mean, he loves us. He doesn't do that for any other. So when he made you and I in his image, we have a fellowship. We, have a, we could have a relationship with him that, too, is like none other. He gave you and I, he gave man, this is part of his creation distinctness in us. There's no other creature that has personality. You know, when we're all unique individuals with different kinds of personalities for, to be used for however God's purpose is. So we have personalities. We have the ability to, to learn. We have the ability to, to feel and to have free will. There's no other creature that has that. In, it, in his image, we have the ability to experience mor- morality. We're able to make moral judgments and choices, and we've got a conscience. No other creature has that. And like I said, we've been created spiritually with the ability to communicate with God. He purposely, see, that's why people can't get content. Because we've been born with the need for him. He purposely created us with a need for him, that we're in fellowship together. And because people haven't searched their Bibles or believed the Bible or believed the word or just let self stay on that one road, they are going to miss the fact that you'll never be content. There's nothing of this world that can content you. That's why you see, can't get enough. You think you'd have enough if you have this much. No, never, never enough because you're trying to, to create something that is impossible because you're only going to be satisfied and content when you know him. So to know that when he says he created us in the image of God, he purposely had all of these characteristics in mind. All right, then it says he, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So, he created male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. Aren't you glad that that, uh, eating was not a result of the fall. <laughs> I mean, he had his eating before. Food, you know, this, and that's why in Revelation, you know, we'll be sitting around the banquet table and, you know, Jesus was always about eating and fellowshipping. And 
such a, a beautiful tree. God saw that all he made, and it was very good. And there was the evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So creation is complete. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. That's such a, a beautiful verse too, isn't it? I mean, the heavens, thus, thus the heavens. That's what chapter one does. And see, that's where too, a lot of times people are getting so bogged down with, well, you know, what's this whole chapter two about? It doesn't all add up. And it's just, it's, would you just read it? Would you just let the Holy Spirit show you the truth of it? It's, to me, it's not that hard to understand. You have chapter two where it says, okay, all of vast creation, heavens and the earth were completed. Then verse two, but the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing because it was completed. Verse 1 says that it was completed. So he finished the work, and now on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. You know it wasn't because he was tired. Sometimes, sometimes it's just good. I can just picture him. When, when he finished and completed this vast array of heavens and the earth and the details and the earth starting to spin just right and the sun, moon, and stars and gravity, everything just working so perfectly. Can't you just picture him kind of, and I don't mean to make this sound simple, but I, for my mind, I can just picture him sitting back and say, whoa, that's good. And he just sat there and looked at it and enjoyed it and just realized all, you know, what transpired. And why do I have to get bogged down with just things that shouldn't even consume or matter? God said it. It was good. And he rested on the Sabbath, on the, on the seventh day. It wasn't called the Sabbath then. It was called the seventh day. That's why it is good to have a day. A day where, you know, in our day and age where, you know, work, 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 work all the time. And, and sometimes you just need, and God knew. How about sitting back and just looking at your week and watching my hand? Oh, this wouldn't have happened if I wasn't working. That you met right you were at the right place at the right time. That was me. When you thought you were, you, were, you were lower than the dust, it was me when I lifted you up out of the miry clay and reminded you of who you are to me. You know, it's like, would you just look, look and, and see that he never did leave you. And you allow the Holy Spirit to help you recall, like even when I don't understand or like what's going on, Father, I know that you do and I trust you. Sometimes 
when on that seventh day or whatever day, you, you just kind of get back on track. Because it's a day that you, your whole, your whole realization that has gotten out of whack because of busyness and uh, circumstances and um, all your moods and your disappointments and and it kind of gets back and you reflect again. That's why Genesis is such a great book because how can you read that chapter and know that he said it and it happened and you were a part of that? And stay in the dumps. I don't think it's possible. Because what was the other verse that we saw last week? It said that my word stands firm in the heavens. My word is eternal. My word doesn't change. So yes, we do need a seventh day. We need a day where we worship him. That our prime, our prime goal is to bask and rest. Because Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, don't know who it is, but whoever wrote Hebrews understood that word rest. And when you know Jesus and you know what he has done for you and what he has saved you from and how he has changed in your life and given you such a different purpose to get up in the morning, you wonder. You know, you cannot help but see that you need a day to regroup and to refocus and regenerate. And he knew what he was doing. And he was doing it for himself, and then he was showing us too. Okay, now, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. See, this is where I don't think it's complicated. I think Genesis 2 is like a is like a recap. A recap, but also it is not only is it a recap, but it's also more detailed in how he created and why he created man and woman. So when the Lord made the earth and the heavens and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord had not sent rain on the earth and there was no man to work the ground but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. That's a detail that wasn't in in chapter one but I'm glad it wasn't forfeited because it just tells us that he just knew how much water the earth needed and but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground the Lord formed the the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being I know that animals all breathe too but there was something about when God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life his life now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man, and he had formed. See, more details. Yeah, because chapter 1, I didn't know where they lived, did you? No. So chapter 2, it's just kind of like, all right, I'm going to now give you details. And the Adam, Adam, Adam was put in the garden 
of Eden, and the Lord made all kinds of trees grow out, out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food, in the middle. That's why I put this in the question, in your questions. I wanted you to see that in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He put those two trees deliberately, because it sounds like the whole garden was full of beautiful trees and plants and that, but these two were put right in the middle. Because did, did you ever wonder, why did he have to put that tree of knowledge of good and evil? Why couldn't he have put that in the outskirts? Though, you know, where I don't go by that much. But he put both of those trees right smack in the middle where, yes, you would be going by all the time having to make a choice. Now, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil wasn't created to, to show um, Adam good and evil. He, that tree of knowledge of good and evil was there to eventually test them, test them to see how much good or evil was in them. Again, God's purpose. He put those trees in the middle. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of, of a villa. And there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aramaic, resin, and onyx are also there. That just starts giving you a little glimpse of how beautiful, doesn't it? Just how beautiful this garden is. You can't help but notice how Genesis and Revelation, you know, how it was started and how, because of grace and mercy, it's how it's going to end. He's going to get us back into this place. But just, just the the um, beauty of now these rivers and these watering the garden and, and just in their place and the gold and the onyx. And verse 13, the name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east side of, the, of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Again, put strategically where it was necessary. And the Lord took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord commanded, the Lord commanded, not suggested, the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must, again, maybe if you write in your Bible, I would, I would really... I would really underline that. It was very distinct. There was no question or, or interpretation problem that we all use as excuses. He made it very clear, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, is that hard to understand? No. Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field, the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see, 
to see what he would name them. And whatever, whatever the man called each living creature, I saw a little cartoon. Again, I don't mean to minimize, but this is kind of cute. It was like, you can imagine, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, and all of a sudden this great big elephant walks by. And, and Eve said to Adam, why did you call that animal an elephant? And Adam answered, because he looked like an elephant. He looked like an elephant. I mean, you know, just so... Because <laughs> he looked like one. He looked like one. No, oh, funny. But he did name every creature. So, verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. See, there was no one of all the creatures that was suitable. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. And she was taken, for she was taken out of man. So is there any problem with the fact that in God's word, see, there's the thing, most people, you know, that are having trouble with this, they, they don't believe, like, well, we just pick up, this is my Bible, I believe it's God's word, I believe every word is true, it's all that I need. See, they want to they wanna compound and confuse and complicate everything. Because when he said, you must not eat from that, or you're going to die. And here, I mean, he had a distinct plan when he said, I, I'm going to create male and female with distinct differences. So it wasn't an accident, was it? It wasn't an accident that he created man and he created woman. It wasn't an accident by any means. He had a purpose in mind. He had a purpose with distinct reasons for each one. I read this this week. Man, man is absolutely superior at being a man. And a woman is absolutely superior at being a woman. But when a man tries to be a woman and a woman tries to be a man, you have just now made it inferior. Right? Because he created it so distinctly, male, female with different reasons in mind, differences in mind. And so, you know, as superior as man is, superior as woman is, you try to switch that, it becomes inferior because it's now what God created. So, now, when he goes on to say, something about, you know, like bone of my bones, flesh, my flesh. And he made marriage. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother to be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. But see, even in that, in, in, 
chapter 224, it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother. So basically, he keeps saying there's a father and there's a mother. There's a man and there's a woman. Elizabeth Elliot, this, is, this was quite adorable. She was asked if a man, if man and women are different, are they equal? And her answer, get this. She says, in what sense is red equal to blue? Equality is only in the sense that they're both colors. They're equal because they're both colors. But yeah, when is red going to be blue and blue going to be red? Just a simple way to say, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're both human beings created by God, but with distinct differences. And again, right there, he puts an idea, like we said, that, you know, the whole base of marriage was, was created in Genesis. The way he set it up. That, unfortunately, people without believing God's word are going to distort to meet, to meet it the way they want. God's ideal for marriage, believe it or not, did not start in the 50s with Ozzie and Harriet. <laughs> isn't that, isn't, that's so good, isn't it? I mean, because, you know, if you go back in the 50s, we always say, oh, man, the 50s was so good. You know, you, you, the programs like Ozzie and Harriet, you know, they said, believe it to Beaver. You know, they sat around the table at night, you know. She, they had supper together. She wore a dress all the time. That, she wore a dress all the time. But I mean, you love going back a wholesome way. But I can remember my mom and dad. I mean, they dressed up. I mean, they, they, they were going to have a couple over for, for company. My dad was in a suit and my mom was in high heels. I mean, they dressed up for that. If my mom and dad traveled on an airplane, oh, spit and polished they were. I mean, you dressed, you dressed, you... And so the 1950s and that, I mean, those were good days. But let me just tell you that God's plan for marriage did not start with Ozzie and Harriet. So Adam and Eve is the original family. God's ideal family. And I wrote these down. So this is this way. I know I'm standing on, on a limb here, but I don't care because I think it's so clear his ideal of marriage was not polygamy, was not concubine, was not keeping a mistress, was not adultery, was not homosexual cohabitation, promiscuity, was not living together outside of the marriage bond, it was not serial marriage, which is repeated short-term marriage. That's not, that's not the ideal. And I was not a bit ashamed to write those on my paper. That's not what God intended. His ideal is found right there in Genesis 2. And the problem, the mess we're in, is because people are throwing God's word out of the, out, out of the window. But aren't you glad you're here this morning? 
aren't you grateful for this opportunity to maybe go through a familiar passage of scripture that you thought you knew but should just shake you to your core and should put ideals and order and this is the way it was intended. This is why it was created with such distinction. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Oh, I know that, you know, you, you read that with little kids around. Oh, they get, you know, they get embarrassed or they laugh or something, you know. But it's so much more. And that's why I thought, let's just bask in Genesis 1 and 2 for just a bit. Because can you even picture how perfect it was? Because it wasn't just a matter that they didn't have the need to wear clothes. I mean, you know, that, that's basically immaterial. But they were just so totally open and exposed before God and man. I mean, you talk about just freedom in its purest form. So there was no self or looking at and comparing or jealousy or, or um, pointing fingers or... No, it was perfect, the relationship, because the way God did it was perfect. So there wasn't a need for clothes. There wasn't a need about, you didn't have to think about keeping your mouth shut or saying something cruel. No, you had a relationship with God. You walked with him, you talked with him, and it was so the way it was created to be. That's why you didn't have to be ashamed of anything. Pretty, pretty, pretty wonderful, I would say. But the hope for us is because next week, I mean, it just starts and we stay in that awful mess until, well, until we do Revelation again. <laughs> and we know, but we can live in that hope, isn't it? Isn't it great to know that we can live in that hope that someday it's all going to reverse itself back. But you know what you and I are doing, though, in the meantime, being transformed so that every day we could become a little bit more like him. So someday when we stand in front of him in all of his fullness, but we're working toward, we're going in that direction. So Heavenly Father, thank you for just taking the time with us like you, that it's your desire, I know. You're so ready to teach us. But Lord, help us to see that this is an obligation that we have to do every Monday morning. It's not an obligation that we better we better read, better read that passage today. No, that we are excited to. Because no matter what day we read it, it'll be a new. If we are willing, like Psalm 119 said, you need to meditate. Take the time. Don't rush through. Father, thank you for writing every detail that really sets it all. There really should be any division about this. There should really be no complication about this. You show us the way it's supposed to be. But Lord, help us to just be so full of you that we show, even though we, we 
know of, we know about, and we see it all around us. Father, help us to be filled with your kind of love. Love that's unconditional. That we, because you did, you did us. You accepted us the way we were, but then led us to the cross where all could be changed. You took us just as we were. Father, help us to follow that beautiful example that we do love people where they're at. And Father, we can't change people, but we know you can. So how much are we really surrendering them? How much are we really praying about? How much are we really really caring in our intents about our own lives being transformed and the people that you bring into our lives. How much time do we spend in surrendering him to you, the only one who can change their mind, change their heart? How much are we inviting people to come to study, to learn, to open their Bibles and realize it's got everything? Father, we got work to do. It was a wonderful morning, and we do bask in the fact that this is the way you created it, and it is awesome. But now that we're living in this mess, how are we going to be the light, that light of Jesus that can shine through us and be inviting to people that need him so desperately? Father, we know we have a world that needs to be changed. But, Father, it starts with each and every one of us. So that really comes right back to it. How much, how much do I really want this? How much, how much do I really want you to show me myself the way I really am and show me what you can do to me and for me through your word? And we will truly give you all praise and glory that you are patient with us, that you are willing to transform us that we are not a hopeless cause. Father, we just give you all glory this morning. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Good lesson.